Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is July 23rd, 2018, and this is episode 246. My name is Jake English. And I am Matt Taylor. Matt, thank you so much for stepping into co-hosting duties. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Where is Scott this week, anyway? Well, you know, as we speak, Scott Magnus is in the Caribbean. Really? That's great, man. When Dan Duquette said that he was going to get more serious about the international market, I had no idea that the payoff would be so immediate. He's just the guy for the job. Now, getting Scott's eyes down there to look at some new talent, it's one of the best things. Matt, 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 I I think we've had a misunderstanding here. Uh, Scott is doing what any sane person would be doing in the Caribbean. He's eating and drinking his way through the resort. It's a well-deserved vacation, and frankly, I'm, I'm extremely jealous. So you're saying you enjoy the tropical climate and beautiful beaches, huh? No, it's just that the horrors of the Orioles can't reach him there. On this week's show, we'll go around the bases and check in on those horrors of Orioles baseball on this side of the All-Star break. We'll also shatter our own illusions, and that is not a euphemism. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right, it's time for the drink of the week. Uh, Matt Taylor, what is your drink of this week? My drink of the week is a Dogfish Head Namaste White. I picked this up, uh, took a recent trip home to Maryland, our annual summer trip. And along the way, we made a uh, stop in Rehoboth Beach, stopped by Dogfish Head, and I enjoyed the Namaste White, so I brought some back with me. Excellent, excellent. I'm drinking in Scott's absence. Now, you have to remember that he makes fun of me for my, my beer choices, and I'm, I'm not going to let him down while he's away. I'm drinking a very fancy German product, and I might get this wrong, but just bear with me on my pronunciation. This, I believe, is a Budweiser and uh, there are a couple of varieties, but this is not, you know, the big, thick, heavy one that you have to chew. This is a, this is a light and fresh, crispy one. This is a, a light Budweiser. Um, so far, you know, it's it's unremarkable, but it's drinkable. It actually sounds delicious and very upper crust. Yeah, yeah, I knew that you'd be impressed. If you're interested to see what we are drinking throughout the week, please get social with us on Untapped. I'm at JakeE4025. Scotty is at MAGN8606. Uh, Matt, do you brag online about your drinking? I sadly do not. Okay, well then you do it in the privacy of your own home. And if you'd like to tell us what you think Matt Taylor is drinking on a weekly basis, please join us on Untapped. Next, it's time for... The Manny Machado Watch. Here's the thing. Wait, wait a minute. I'm reviewing my notes. Matt, I'm, I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. I usually prepare better for this, but it appears that the Manny Machado Watch is no longer necessary. What do you mean? He, I mean, he's our best player. He's the only thing we have in this dark, dark season of Orioles baseball. I just, just a moment. I'm getting, I'm getting news right now that the Orioles have, in fact, already traded Manny. And the watch is no longer necessary. Did he go to the Phillies? He did not go to the Phillies. He went to the Los Angeles Dodgers, where he is not wearing number eight in honor of Cal Ripken Jr., but because he's just wearing number eight. Wait, no, that's not true. I read somewhere online that he was going to wear number eight to honor Cal Ripken Jr. It has to be true. It was a valid source. It was on the Internet. Well, this is embarrassing, and I apologize, but look, you know, the Manny Machado watch is now 
officially over. It joins the Brian Roberts watch. It joins the Nick Marcakis watch as being a retired, annoying bit from uh, Bird's Eye View. But let me ask you, I mean, who is the next watch that we should obsess over? Well, I'm I'm going to go with Zach Britton. Um, that's where the that's where the chatter is. Uh, he's got you know a, a attachment to him by Orioles fans. Uh, he's got some value to him, so we could get something in return. Um, so I'm going to say there should be a, a Zach Britton watch. All right, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about the Zach Britton watch for a couple of reasons. First, he for me he just doesn't have that same cachet. Uh, and secondly, I think that he will be gone by the time I pick out music for the, the Zach Britton watch. Fair enough. All right. So we'll have to see who is next on the uh, player walking out the door watch. Uh, but if we're not going to do that, why don't we stroll over to the medical wing? Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. I'm going to listen to your heartbeat. You up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's okay if you giggle. This will only tickle a little. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. All right, Matt, I'm looking through the medical wing and I've got a problem. Uh, frankly, I'm frightened. Uh, I'm looking through. I see uh, Pedro Arujo. I see Richard Blyer. Uh, I see Craig Gentry. I see uh, Adam Jones. I, I see Darren O'Day. I see Steve Wilkerson. I, I see Gabriel Enoa. Uh, we're missing somebody, Matt. We're missing someone very important to this franchise. Who's that? Chris Tillman is nowhere to be seen in the medical wing this week. Chris Tillman is nowhere to be seen, period. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel better already. <laughs> the medical wing does do wonders, doesn't it? Yes, and the Chris Tillman watch is now over. <laughs> it is indeed. I think the only thing that's of, of any note here is the Adam Jones foot soreness, uh, not listed in the uh, in the lineup for July 22nd, listed day to day. Now, is he currently sitting in the rain waiting for the game to restart here on uh, Monday the 23rd? I think he's stuck in an elevator somewhere. <laughs> having a few drinks with his buddies. Can we just stop and talk for a second about the elevator gate from Toronto? How bad is the Orioles season when everyone is dying to talk about a story about Adam Jones and Chris Davis getting stuck in an elevator because they won't have to talk about how terrible the team is? Well, I think one of the things that that I love about it as well is how positively Adam Jones came off for his Instagram story about the whole thing where it's clear he's been drinking and were this team like actually good or in contention for anything, there'd probably be all kinds of critiques about, you know, behavior. This is during a series, what he's doing, but he just came off as, as a star through the whole thing as, as only Adam Jones could do on a very bad team. Uh, false. I will not, I will not accept that slander. Uh, Matt, Tommy Hunter could have pulled that off as well. (laughs) I stand corrected. (laughs) And if we're going to correct ourselves, the best place to do that is on the internet. Let's go and see what's going on in Birdland in 280 characters or fewer in this week on the Twitters. I want to start with a tweet that I love everything about. There is a there's a tweet that came out this week. It's from Ben Kaplan, who tweets at Battle OT Beltway. I guess that's Battle Overtime Beltway. It must be. Um, and it says as follows. To Peter Angelos, and then caps lock. 
Never ever meddle with front office decisions again, or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout baseball have ever suffered before. We are no longer a fan base that will stand for your demented views on medicals, international pool money, and extensions. Be cautious. Uh, I love this. I love everything, everything about this. Well, you know, Ben is obviously you know giving us a take there on the. Uh Donald Trump tweet there toward Iran. And I've, I've just got to tell Ben, stick to – wait, no, never mind. Don't stick to sports. If he's going to mix sports and politics in that way and produce that kind of funny, I say you go right ahead, good sir. You do that. Can I ask you a question? You may. Why is there not already a Orioles-Trump parody account? Ooh, that is a very good question. I, I've seen um, other parody accounts that have come about in this season that are – are less inspired, but that is an idea. I think that's just comedy gold waiting to happen. All right, next up, we have one from a name that O's fans will be familiar with, Rock Kubako, tweeting at at Mass and Rock, where he tells us simply, Jonathan Scope, now using Manny Machado's old locker. Hashtag Orioles. It's as if the sadness surrounding Manny Machado's departure couldn't get any worse. That's just one more jab. I will tell you, though, I think there is something genuinely sweet about the relationship between these two guys, between Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope. You know, I think as fans, we hold on to a lot of false narratives about our players and teams and positive things happening. And I have seen it suggested you know, leading up to the Machado trade that you know, much of this was overblown between Manny and Scope. And everything we've seen, you know, the quotes um, from those guys about Scope going to his, you know, to Machado's house, meeting with him, cutting his vacation short to do so and, and being in tears and right on down the line now to using his locker and Machado's sign off there on Instagram where he's telling Scope to carry the torch. It's, it's a genuinely good thing. And, you know, Brick Garoli had tweeted about, uh, Machado right before the trade talking about, you know, these guys aren't robots. And I think if anything shows it, it's, it's the relationship between these two guys. It's It's been fun to see. It's sad, but it's also fun to see what seems to be a, a pretty genuine friendship there. This tweet makes me so sad because I, I just envision, you know, a widow or a widower who opens the closet and steps in and grabs a handful of their dead spouse's clothes and just sniffs, you know, or like lays on the other side of the bed on their pillow just to remember the scent of a lost loved one. This is just, it's sad. Oof, that's so fitting. Ouch. Next, we're going to go to a tweet from Ken Rosenthal, and I believe this is the correct one because there is a blue check mark, and it says that this person tweets at Ken underscore Rosenthal. Hashtag Rockies scouting. Hashtag Orioles Gosman and Bundy, sources tell The Athletic. Call Colorado, has longstanding interest in Gosman, a Colorado native. Team also looking at starters and relievers from other clubs. Difficult and potentially pivotal week ahead at Coors. Two versus Houston. Three versus Oakland. Uh, yeah, I think the Orioles should be shopping anyone who's breathing. And uh, Gosman to the Rockies has a fun feeling to me because, uh, you know, he's a, he's a Colorado native. That's a good story. Yeah, and I mean, if we're really going to trade Kevin Gosman, can we please, please, please have it be to Colorado? I mean, yeah, it's a feel-good story for him with the local connection, but I think more importantly, 
it's a difficult place to pitch. And so maybe we won't have him turn into Jake Arietta 2.0 where there's all that potential that's finally been captured somewhere else. I don't think he has the kind of capability for Jake Arietta level uh, facial hair. And so um, I don't think we have to worry about that. <laughs> well, let me pick up with our, our next tweet which comes from a name some fans may be familiar with, Jim Palmer, who tweets at Jim22Palmer, NYY, of course, New York Yankees, Chapman struggling. How will Britain look in pinstripes? O's in the catbird seat? Hashtag my prediction. And we've got at Mass and Orioles and at Orioles tagged on that Jim Palmer tweet because the man or his spouse or whoever runs the account knows how to use Twitter. Now, there's a lot, uh, a lot in there, and I'm sure fans cringe at the mention of Britain in pinstripes and helping an already strong team. I will say, though, as, as we search for any kind of feel-good angle on the Baltimore Orioles this season and something to keep you even remotely interested in this team, I've got to say that the Jim Palmer snark might just be the thing that keeps me around. Now, it doesn't show up in this tweet, but a later reply where he gets questioned a bit about this uh, about this tweet about this possibility, and that was in a reply. I guess Jason Lockon Forum must have retweeted him, so someone replied to Palmer and to to Lockon Forum and says Palmer responds then saying, "Jason, can you explain how O's are in the catbird seat when it comes to trading Britain?" And then in parentheses, since I know very little about the game of baseball. That's good snark from Jim Palmer, who seems to be compiling quite a list of snark this season. Yeah, he's he's impressive and a national treasure. So uh, keep it up, Cakes. Keep it up. Lastly, I want to go to a tweet from our friends at Camden Chat. They, of course, tweet at Camden Chat. Shout out to all the people who are paying attention to the Orioles tonight who could be doing literally anything else instead. Yep, yep, that is that is exactly how it feels. Um, but while we're talking about Camden Chat, guys, I have a suggestion. If you're listening, and I, I doubt anyone is because you could be doing literally anything else instead. Uh, if you're listening, Camden Chat, I think rather than doing a Friday night gift party for an Orioles victory, you should just extend that this season to any time the Orioles win. It's a gift party, regardless of the night, just so that you can do it again. I think that's a, a fair request. And, and I'll say in, in seriousness... A place like Camden Chat, you know, during bad seasons like this and during the presumably bad baseball we have on the horizon, these are the places to, to be. I mean, it's fun to connect with fans and to have a shared misery about it. And, you know, I, I connected with some of the folks from Camden Chat, you know, fairly early on um, when I was blogging. And, you know, that was, you know, started in 2006. So that's going up through the, the latter part of the dark ages. And, you know, it is fun to connect with the kind of the culture of the Orioles um, and with other folks who are going to stick around even when it's bad. So check out Camden chat, definitely keep listening to bird's eye view. And I think these sorts of things of, of having fun with the community and the culture around the team are going to be a lot more fun than the team itself. Well, you know, that was, that was a hopeful statement. That was a, an endearing statement. I really feel like we're, we're striking a positive note. So let's take a break. Let's try to erase that positive note. And when we come back, We'll go around some very dark bases.
Yep, that's right. It's time. Let's go around the bases. We can't do anything else. Uh, we'll start at first base, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to say first base is the All Star Game. So, Matt, let me first ask you this: Did you watch the 2018 Major League Baseball All Star Game? I did not watch the game. Now, part part of that is you know we just moved into a new house, didn't have uh, internet set up uh, or or TV, so um, it was my own dark ages of a different variety. Um, but I can say I I probably would have watched at least some of the games to see uh, to see Manny for a little bit if nothing else. But I did not actually watch the game. Why are you such a bad fan, Matt? Why? It comes naturally. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, in addition to being ashamed of you, I also have to admit that I did not watch the All Star Game um, and have no excuse about my own personal dark ages. Um, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it uh it was the literal last chance to see manny machado in an orioles uniform and i just i couldn't bring myself to do it and beyond that i didn't have any other stories that i was particularly interested in so i i sat this one out and a a better fan uh would have sat his son down and watched you know have him watch the all-star game and introduce him to that uh and instead i i don't know did a crossword puzzle or knitted socks or something why are you such a bad fan well you know that's a difficult and complicated question i will say that i do somewhat have a history of this if you go back and look at episode 99 and a half for my summer song episode for the uh, 2014 alcs when things get too rough emotionally i i will occasionally shut down uh, but but i will tell you i really do like the MLB All-Star Game. I think that it is a fantastic exhibition, and of, a, of the major sports, they have it together the most. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch. I especially like the fact that, you know, they've kind of dropped the rules, and it's pomp and circumstance and then an excuse for these great players to play a game and have a really good time doing it. You know, you see Manny Machado taking selfies, uh, you know, with some other players. You see the, the players there all week with their kids. It's just a it's a really cool vibe of really, really talented baseball players making it look so easy to love the game. Now, let me ask you this. Would Manny Machado have been taking selfies if the game were still connected to home field advantage? Would that gives some presumption that this game, I mean, the slogan, I don't remember specifically what it was, but as they started the whole home field advantage thing, it was, you know, now it matters or whatever, whatever the saying was, um, which, you know, gave it more importance to the game itself than was actually there. But would Manny have been able to have that much fun with it had there still been this, you know, home field advantage hanging over the game? I think so. Uh, I have an unpopular opinion. I actually miss the all-star game assigning uh, world series home field advantage because i don't feel like that decision can be made intelligently and so if it has to be done arbitrarily it might as well be uh, cute and kitschy arbitrary and not a real a real attempt like let's look at say the al versus the nl there are some years like oh this year where the american league is sewn up at the all-star break there are some really, really good teams in the American League. And there are some really, really bad teams in the American League. If it just so happens that the American League uh, participant, the World Series, has a better record because they got to play more bad teams than the NL's participant, how is that not an arbitrary system? It is, it is arbitrary, and, and I think other solutions, like you could say, well, what about interleague play? But, you know, take the records from that, but then they're playing different teams. So 
there's indeed an, an arbitrary nature to it. I think my biggest problem with the whole home field advantage thing was just that it's one of these decisions that you feel it's made at a high level and it's just reactive. It's we had this all-star game. It, you know, we got caught cold when the game was tied. We're out of pitchers, all this sort of thing. So we've got to do something to, to fix this. And I think that you know, whether you're looking at other sports leagues and you know, commissioners and, and big decisions, NBA all-star game, now they're drafting their teams you know, rather than just having them come from each respective conference. Or you know, even if you look currently at the whole dispute um, in the NFL with kneeling for the flag and the, all these efforts to kind of find a policy – all this very reactive and, and you know, kind of quick responses to, to try and show that you're fixing something rather than sitting back and asking the question, does it really need to be fixed in, you know, in any kind of significant way uh, and, and tinkering too much, you know, that, that, you know, an all-star game is an all-star game. You know, what, what's there to, to offer. And, um, you know, there, there probably will be peaks and valleys in terms of, of fan interest, but how much do you need to, to tinker with that? I have a solution. All right, I've just thought of this. I've had a moment of brilliance. I have fixed baseball. Are you ready for this? I, I'm ready and waiting. So we're you and I are discussing and debating the arbitrary systems that they could use to deal with home field advantage. What if, instead of having to pick a bad system to assign home field advantage, we simply eliminated home field advantage? Now hear me out on this one. Every year... The Major League Baseball All-Star Game is in a different location to highlight a city, to highlight a stadium, to, uh, to allow a, a particular market to embrace baseball and also feel that warm embrace of the baseball world back. Right? You with me so far? I'm with you. I'm with you. What if the first game of the World Series was not played in the park of either of the two participants? Each of the two got the same number of possible home games and instead it was played somewhere else randomly. Either the same city that the All-Star game was in or, or some other rotating system. That's just crazy enough to work. They might even host it in cities that they're trying to expand to the following year. Huh? An audition for Charlotte or Montreal or Portland. Hey, if you want bad ideas for the World Series, <laughs> I got them all. No, but I, I think honestly, like, just... You wonder what the decision making is and what the thinking is and, and what sort of things to you know to change an approach. Um, what those conversations actually look like? Because inevitably it seems like these these ideas come out and you're like, no, who who thought of that? And it seems like a a product of you know just a, a a group in a room, you know, kind of fitting a stereotype of what you might have for an executive and and not very good ideas uh, coming out of it. Um, that that's different. And I haven't heard anything thing like that. It would be fun. Um, many fans would hate it, and they would blame the commissioner, but isn't that kind of what already happens now? Hashtag content would be free-flowing. Indeed. All right, you mentioned the commissioner. Uh, I, I do have uh, a note here about uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred. Uh, he's basically holding the All-Star game hostage in the Masson dispute with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, but I think he's crazy. I think he's insane. Because if he thinks that holding the All-Star game from the Baltimore Orioles is going to get Peter Angelos to change his mind about making baseball hold up their end of the deal that brought the Nationals to Washington, they have no idea who they are dealing with. Peter Angelos was stubborn enough to let his team rot out to the core for 14 years and become hated in his own city rather than do something he didn't want to do. Fred Manf or Rob Manfred can't win. 
this battle. Peter Angelos and the Angelos family would literally rather burn down the house than let someone they didn't want live in it. Well, now let's be fair here to Rob Manfred. He said that that had nothing to do with the decision-making. So, I mean, can't we just trust him on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when he said that Baltimore would have to put, you know, a really great package together, I'm sure that he's willing to honestly and and objectively assess that uh, that presentation. Well, I, I love just the, the general, you know, that they have those shirts that, you know, insert town name here, but the Baltimore versus everybody type uh, mentality that, that you see. And I love how that's come up with various commissioners. In football, it was, you know, losing the Colts, and then it became the whole, you know, build an art museum. And so now it's the Baltimore fans versus the commissioner. Now, hey, with this, the all-star game, we have, you know, Baltimore fans against Rob Manfred. I kind of like when Orioles fans are fired up and and anti-commissioner, no matter what's going on. I just like that stance generally. I'm ready to go buy a Baltimore versus everybody T-shirt right now. Well, we're 1-0 because we have the Ravens and not the museum. Indeed. And who wants a museum anyway? <laughs> All right, let's mosey on over to second base. Uh, my question to you is this. What now attendance edition? The Baltimore Orioles have been reaching out to season ticket holders and to any holders who or any ticket purchasers who happen to, to uh, purchase group tickets. Uh, and they're trying to entice them to, to buy group tickets uh, or uh, a ticket package, you know, five, six games, what have you. Um, how difficult is it going to be for the Orioles to get people to buy season tickets moving forward and what is it they have to do in order to sell them is it possible again th- thinking differently here to do 81 variations of the birdland hawaiian shirt and give one out at every home game to entice fans is it possible yes is it plausible well i've seen them do dumber things well, I'll, I'll say with the you know, attendance, this is a this is a tricky thing because I think for many years, as as someone who you know, loves Baltimore, loves the Orioles, you know, I've I've often taken it to heart uh, when attendance issues come up. Whether that was you know in the dark ages, you know, I remember there being a column that Peter Schmuck wrote from you know the the upper deck in left field, and there was a picture of him with nothing but empty green seats around him. And and now you know as the Orioles have been more successful, still the attendance question emerges and. You know, there's been a certain level of, of hurt for me in, in that I take pride in this team and I take pride in the fans and this sort of thing. But, you know, when you push that aside and you think about the, the business side of things, you know, I think back to, you know, before the Orioles had this run of success, they were offering various ticket packages. There was one that was even, it was something like a four-game package. And I should know because I actually bought it, but it included, you know, the opportunity to buy, you know, opening day tickets um, so it was affordable. It was just less than a handful of games, and you included opening day. It was an awesome option um, for the fans, and and you know a, pretty much a, a no-brainer to purchase. Well, well, that went away really quickly once they got to be successful. And, you know, then they you know they make a, a run to get to the playoffs, and all of a sudden it's you know if you order season tickets or a certain season ticket package for the following season, then you can get a right you know to to buy um, you know. Some, some postseason tickets, get priority there. And you, you start to realize, you know, through that and other efforts, I mean, the season ticket packages are, are really what fill the, the seats and make the team successful. And you realize that, you know, if a team is successful, that you, you are going to be pushed out pretty quickly um, as, a, as a fan. Um, as, a, as an example, it's a different sport, but, you know, I went to, to college at Rutgers University up in New Jersey that, 
and, you know, traditionally has had a football program that, you know, is, is every bit as bad as the Orioles were in, in baseball. I mean, over seasons and everything else. Well, they had one good season and, and they sold out the stadium for the, the next season. And all of a sudden, these longtime season ticket holders who had been sitting in the same seats for generations of family watching horrible football. Now they're booted to the upper deck at best, but maybe don't get tickets at all. And you know, I bought tickets for a, a bowl game and um, got a letter in the mail that said, well, actually, you know, those tickets are now going to someone else that, that wants them. So you've been moved somewhere else in the stadium. So you realize at the end of the day, I mean, it is a it is a business. Um, and so it kind of makes it hard to be sympathetic uh, to the effort to fill those seats. But I do think that there are efforts that can be made. And I mentioned that four game package. I think smaller packages that that have incentives for games that will still matter. Opening day is always going to matter in Baltimore. A chance to get tickets to that. I mean, I think it just requires probably swallowing some pride and um, and making you know more opportunities be be available um, for for fewer games. But it sounds a little bit like it might be going in the in the opposite direction when it comes to getting smaller package uh, packages of tickets. Yeah, well, I know that for this season, 2018, it seems like the Orioles have made it more difficult to be a 13 game package holder. Um, the problem is is that they, they have now a tiered system of orange carpet benefits, and you get the fewest, obviously, for 13 games, but it seems like they're taking more and more away from the smallest package, and I, I think that they should be incentivizing as many people as possible to make the investment to buy tickets, right? And 13 games is clearly the most accessible, right? It's the one that is closer to being... Uh, affordable for for the the more people and so they need to just be jacking that full of all sorts of benefits the other thing and i I know you know i wish scott were here because I, i know that he's experienced this in the past it's difficult with season tickets to then convert those season tickets into tickets that you can uh utilize the kids cheer free program um and that should be again simple if I'm bringing in two children for free, there's a really good chance that they're going to want a $5 cotton candy, and that's a good thing for you. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I, I have been pleasantly surprised at times at the Orioles' ability to make better decisions from a business standpoint, but they are up against the wall. The team is horrible, the team is going to be bad, and people are going to be running from uh, from being a season ticket holder. And they need to do something to incentivize to bring people back. And that is, I think you hit it right on the head, swallowing the pride and getting desperate. I don't know what that desperation looks like, but they better figure it out because it is going to be very, very empty for probably a few years. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't solve the problem. But I'll say this, you know, I, I mentioned that I was you know home there in Maryland recently. And so I went to two games while I was home. One, I worked in the, the press box and it was the night that they had the snow globes, um, the Buck Snowwalter snow globe giveaway. And you know, having been away from the team, you know, watching some games here and there, but more often listening to bits and pieces, reading about the team, I, I found myself surprised about like there was en- any energy in the ballpark that night. And there was <clears throat> there was a genuine energy there for a bad team. And then I went again on, on the day that they gave away the, the Hawaiian shirts. And you know, I wasn't sure going down, like, do I need to go early? They're giving out thirty five thousand of these things. And it was a it was a big crowd that day. And so I think both things surprised me in terms of like there are people that whether it's to get, you know, a kind of a uh, kitschy giveaway um, or whether it's people, you know, that just still have some love for the, the team somewhere that there are people that, that do care about the team. How do you tap into them? How do you make it accessible um, for more people to, to be there? Um, and, you know, like we both said, it's that swallowing that pride. It's finding something that, that does work 
um, for fans and finding a way to fill up the seats. And as you mentioned, there are other plenty of other opportunities to be to be making money off the fans while they're there. All right, let's find our way over to third base. And uh, I hate to do it, but third base is the not so lovely totals. Uh, as of the time of this recording, again, we here we are on July 23rd, 2018, while the game is going on or being rained out. Um, the Orioles are 28 and 72. That is a 280 winning percentage, and they're on a pace to go 45 and 117. Matt, Matt, they are literally not. This is not hyperbole. They are in real danger of being the worst team in Major League Baseball during the 162 game schedule. And and no matter how many times you know I, I see what's happening and I look at the record and I watch a game and see what's happening on the field, that is still so difficult to believe. I mean, the fact that this is potentially one of the worst teams in modern history and that the player with the largest contract is, you know, vying to have one of the worst seasons ever. It just, it's hard to be this bad. It really is. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the standings, they're 41 and a half games out of first place and their elimination number is 21 at the end of of July, not even at the end of July, and it gets even worse if you look at the wild card. The wild card is supposed to give people life. Well, they're 32 games out of the wild card, and their elimination number is 32. This is this is not good. Can I mention a bright spot? Oh, please! I'm desperate for one. So you have to reach for a bright spot, but but I will say this, and I do believe it. The the thing that is one of the things that's hurt this franchise. In recent years, and even going, you know, farther back to the early early days of the Angelos regime, is this belief that you know we're never really out of it. And so all this season, it was you know this this fear that the Orioles were going to just hang around the margins, and that rather than trying cashing in a Machado or anyone else of value, that you know they were just going to let it ride, and then you know we're end of the season comes, everyone departs town, and there's absolutely nothing in return for it. And, you know, there was the famous deadline that Duquette had put on it where, you know, everyone's saying, okay, now you really have to say this team, no, we're, we're done. And you didn't, didn't hear that. And we you know, got up to Memorial Day and, and passed then. But in some ways, I think they almost had to be, if not this bad, close to it to force the hand to say, okay, there is no chance whatsoever and, you know, this is rock bottom or close to it. And so now now when the changes, the changes have to come and, and that not only facilitates, hey, we're going to we're going to legitimately shop Manny Machado. We're legitimately going to shop Zach Britton and others. Um, but then also, I mean, to get the what I would call a confession of sorts from from Dan Duquette, where he's publicly using the rebuilding word. It's like, man, did we need this? Did we need to hit this low? to finally get some very stubborn people to say, okay, yeah, we're terrible, and we have to fix something. Yeah, I I know how you feel. That's a positive thing, but uh, it still makes me sad. It, <laughs> it, it doesn't me sad. bring me joy, I'll tell you that. All right, let's, let's bring this very happy segment in on home. Let's go to home plate. Uh, let's talk about the left side of the infield. Um, Renato Nunez has been getting some starts at third base, and he's apparently a baseball player who has a glove and a number. Uh, 
Is he the guy you want playing third base? I, I'm going to say yes, but for completely non-baseball reasons. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go oh, no. off track here a little bit. But Renato Nunez was in the Oakland A's organization whose AAA affiliate is the Nashville Sounds. And Nashville is where you know my family is currently currently living. Oh, so you can provide a scouting report. Well, it's not really going to be a scouting report. But what I will tell you is that we had a, a fun, unique opportunity last season um, where my son really became enamored with hearing the public address announcer at, at these minor league games. And they had a, a half inning where they have a kid get up there and, and do the announcing in place of the regular public address announcer. And so my son was geared up, wanted to do this. You know, we found out how you do it. Um, he, we couldn't do it the night we were at the ballpark. So we, we sent an email and said, hey, you know, can we set up a time to do this? And they were very, very gracious about it, set up a time for us. And so my son got to announce, you know, a, a half inning of, of the lineup um, for the Nashville Sounds. And a member of that lineup was Renato Nunez. And, you know, sure enough, my son got to announce, you know, Renato Nunez. Um, and so now in a season where, you know, even despite the Orioles record, I'm having a hard time. I'm finding my, you know, my son is at age seven, just really not that into the Orioles, um, certainly not to the, the, the degree that I am. So to be able to tell him, hey, that's the guy you announced. That's Renato Nunez. Well, that gives me something. So with something that's absolutely not related to performance on the field, but hey, what is these days? I'm going to say I want Renato Nunez out there for no other reason than my selfish desire to try and get my son interested in a really bad baseball team so he can suffer for the rest of his life like I've suffered. All right. Now, say so I'm looking through my notes and uh, I'm looking through the roster. And strangely enough, I can find no better reason <laughs> to play any of the guys on the roster than that. And that's not even a joke. That may be the best argument that any of these guys has to play third base. So um, your son it is. You you win you win the argument. Uh, the the only thing that I will say is that I do think that it would be entertaining to see a guy like Danny Valencia play third base for an extended period of time just for the sheer Wilson Betamite esqueness of it. Because if you're gonna be bad, you might as well be bad. Right. It might it might as well be an adventure. And Wilson Betamite, who I I might add, was was our third baseman at the start of that, you know, magical two thousand twelve season before Manny Machado came to town. Um I'll say this, though, related to the left side of the infield, you know, uh, Tim Beckham now, you know, swaggy T back at, at shortstop. Um, I, I find the conversation around him interesting and, and that there's been any level of surprise that, hey, Beckham's not this great shortstop. I mean, if I remember it, when, when the Orioles acquired him, I mean, we got distracted by his hot hitting out of the gate. But this was a guy that, you know, even Buck was kind of saying publicly was going to need to up his game at shortstop that, you know, at that time, the Orioles did value defense, and that was something they spoke a lot about. And he was not known to be a, a good shortstop then. So um, th this discovery that, aha, wait, no, you know, we, we don't have anyone else to, to really play short um, that effectively, and for that matter, no one at third. I mean, these, these things probably shouldn't come as, as a big of a surprise as they seem to be. Yeah, uh, and the other thing to keep in mind is that with these dark, dark days ahead— Maybe the the way forward is to try to break the Orioles, right? Wilson Betamid at third base 
was breaking the Orioles. And what did they do? Out of desperation, they brought a 20-year-old up to the majors, Manny Machado, and you know it was the click. It was the it was the special sauce that we needed. So maybe we need to try to make this team so bad that they, in desperation, make and it better. And Machado was playing out of position too, so they truly broke him. They said, "Hey, we need we need something here. Move over to third base." So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's just what it is. We're going to break the Orioles in order to make them better. Oh, oh no, oh Matt, this uh Look, this this hasn't happened in a long time, but I got all excited talking about the around the bases segment, and I think I've shattered myself. Is it is it possible for us to take a quick break and and come back? Well, you were indeed shattered, and, and speaking of which, I want to talk a little bit about what I might call shattered illusions. Now, we always knew, we've known for some time, that the Orioles' window of opportunity was going to close, and there was kind of a question of when. When was this going to close? How much longer did we have? Uh, we knew it was approaching, but I'm not sure anyone really expected it to be slammed shut quite so vigorously uh, in the way that it has been this season. In fact, the window shut so hard that it shattered the glass, and the glass isn't the only thing that shattered. The experience, I believe, is helping us to shatter some illusions about the Orioles, about baseball, even about Baltimore fans. Now, Jake, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but uh, do you remember the days of David Copperfield? Before he was in Vegas, he did some TV specials that used to be a big deal. Does that ring a bell at all? Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was all about magic, but not the Orioles. That's magic. right, a master illusionist, and... I think one year he even made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Uh, now, there's a metaphor in there somewhere for our current state of affairs, but I digress. And oh, Heck, I'm going to keep digressing just a little bit. I didn't realize until I was prepping for you know, this, this spot tonight as a, as a co-host, um, doing my research and discovered that David Copperfield actually did robocalls in the state of Maryland for, I guess it was question seven, which was going to add a casino in Prince George's County and, you know, I even checked, and there's a YouTube video of one of these robocalls. Had a chance to listen to it because everything's on the internet somewhere now. Jake, did did you ever get one of these calls by any chance? No, but sir, you have offended me. You have crossed the line. I, I'm I'm sick and tired of hearing you say that you prepared for this episode. <laughs> well, you know, if if Wikipedia and YouTube are preparation, then I am guilty as charged, sir. So. Bringing it back here, Let, let's tie everything together so everything fits. We've got illusions, we've got David Copperfield, we've got Maryland ballot initiatives, that local angle. Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, okay, so, so the window. The window's been slammed shut, the glass is shattered, and so we've shattered some illusions, I think, that we've held about this beloved baseball team. So I, I just want to take you through four illusions that are being shattered this season for me and perhaps others. So we'll start. My first shattered illusion is this that fans will spend a little bit more money on tickets if you sign their favorite free agent. Now, this is talk that probably a lot of people would deny now, but I remember being on the Twitters when Chris Davis was coming up on free agency and Chris Davis could still hit a baseball a long way. And specifically people tweeting like, hey, they need to spend the money. 
They need to sign this guy. Heck, I'd be willing to spend a few extra dollars on a ticket to the ballpark if it meant keeping Chris Davis. And that line of thinking, you know, had been used before by our owner, Peter Angelos. He talked about freezing ticket prices kind of as an excuse back when Mike Mussina walked of, hey, we don't have to pay that salary, so we're not charging you more. And it came up yet again as Manny Machado came upon, you know, leaving Baltimore that, hey, I'd pay extra money. Um, if it meant bringing this, keeping this guy in town. And, and I just want to say, let's shatter that illusion that, you know, fans are not going to spend more money to, to keep a guy in town. I, I don't believe that. What what sayeth you, Jake? Well, I, I, I think you're right. But I do think that keeping free agents or going out and getting free agents is synonymous for fans with trying, right? And I think that there was a lot of, of enthusiasm for the Orioles when they signed Alex Cobb. Not because Alex Cobb was a good pitcher, and that's turned out to be a much darker conversation, but because they were afraid that the Orioles were going to stand pat and do nothing, and instead they did something. Boy, howdy, have, have they ever done something. But I think that whatever the signing may be, whether it's Davis, whether it's an Abaldo Jimenez, whether, please, let me pick one that isn't hard, but whether it's a, um, uh, a Nelson Cruz, right? Um, doing something is a way to get the fan base excited. And I do think that shows up in the butts and seats department. But I, I think you're right that simply signing uh, the, the the big free agent doesn't necessarily bring people to the door. I mean, the bottom line is is winning. You know, that's what people are, are going to come to see. Um, and I, I, I do agree, though. You make a good point there. I mean, I've gotten excited about signings in recent history, not because I thought they were so great, but I thought, wow, the Orioles are trying. They're, they're doing something. So um, it does show show some effort, at least. Let, let me go on to my, my second shattered illusion. And it's the idea that you have to have protection in the lineup you know, for your good hitters, which would raise the question for me of, of who was protecting Manny Machado this season. You know, there have been efforts, you know, over time in recent time to kind of debunk the argument of, of lineup protection, which is is old and almost as old as the game of baseball itself and there's actually a nice piece um, that beyond the box score did in, in 2015 and what i liked about it is it linked to some of the the sabermetric research that's been done around the idea saying is there something to this line of protection but i thought it was also a, a fair treatment in that it links to those articles links to those studies which seem to indicate that there's not a whole lot of evidence for this this argument of lineup protection and you know, protecting the guy in front of you, getting better pitches, that sort of thing. Um, however, they also point out in there that you know they have quotes from big name pitchers um, at the time. You know, talking about CC Sabathia, Tim Hudson, this sort of thing, um, where they're acknowledging that yeah, sometimes they look in the on deck circle and and see who's batting next, and you know maybe try not to have it affect your approach, but that that it can play on them some. And so their basic conclusion there was saying, hey. You, even though there's not evidence for it, if the pitchers believe it, um, then there's something to it. So I thought it was a very fair fair treatment in that article. But you know, going back to just that basic argument of, of lineup protection, aside from Manny Machado, the, the Orioles' lineup has been you know, largely abysmal this season, um, and yet he still had a career-best effort, really, in the season's first half, which either speaks to Manny Machado being just that remarkable, um, or that you know, another data point that would go against the argument of lineup protection. Matt, these guys, they're not robots. These are human beings, those pitchers, all right? When you look into the, the on-deck circle 
and you see Austin winds uh, staring you down, if you don't quake in your boots, if you do not, you know, wet yourself just a bit, I I don't know that you're living. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and move on from Austin winds and and wetting myself um, and compose myself to do the rest of this show. So maybe it is a good time then indeed to move on to shattered illusion. Number three, we'll go a little more abstract from here. So we don't have to talk about any more pants wetting. Um, So the third Shattered Illusion for me this season, um, and I guess really over the past you know, period of success combined with this season, is the notion, the illusion indeed, that winning baseball makes you happy. Now, I, I wrote an article about this very topic in the midst, it was around this time actually, in the midst of the 2014, really the peak of this Orioles' success. They go on to win the division, but you know, at the All-Star break, and, and they had a big West Coast trip right after that they... They won some games against good competition that really said, hey, they might be able to do this. But that was a very stressful time. And so I wrote about like, hey, winning baseball, I thought after all this losing was going to make me happy, but I'm, I'm not happy. You know, and I, and I got some brushback from people who assume that, hey, you haven't been following the team for that long. And, and I had, but it's just the, the pure stress of it. Um, it's a very stressful existence to, to be in contention and to be following a team over the course of a season and, you know, you like to think you don't take it that seriously, but really, you you do, especially when there's there's something to to be had there, in terms of the postseason, and so there's stress involved with it. Now that's not to say, and, and I'll get to this later, that that losing is better. Far from it. Um, but just the idea that, that having a winning team by itself is is going to make you happy. I, I think that that's an illusion, and I'll tell you. As we were losing so much prior to this this recent surge of success starting in 2012, I was one of many fans who were saying, "Just just give me 500 baseball, just just a non-losing record, just end this streak of losing seasons." And and to that, I now tell myself, "How much did you enjoy the 2015 season? The Orioles were 81 and 81, and especially down the stretch, that wasn't wasn't much fun." So. A winning record alone isn't enough to really make a fan happy, and I think the bar gets raised quickly when you start to win. That you know you want that winning season, then you get you know, and maybe as part of that as the Orioles did, you you get that wild card, and that's great. But then it's like, well, I want to I want to win the division, and then I want to win the ALCS. And at the end of the day, all anyone really wants is to win a World Series, and and those are rare for most teams, and. And they're probably more enjoyed at the end of the season when it's all over, and then even more so in hindsight than they are during the way. I mean, it, it's agonizing being a fan. So so my third illusion that I'm shattering here is that, that winning baseball makes you happy. I don't know how I feel about this, and it's complicated. So can I, I mean, can I lay down on your therapist's couch and just try to unpack this a little bit? Absolutely. Make yourself comfortable. So um, what are you writing? What is, what is that you're writing? Um, so I think back to the pre-2012 Orioles, and I loved the Orioles. I was a huge Baltimore Orioles fan, and I had such enthusiasm for the team. And I, I think back now, I'm like, how did I even generate that much enthusiasm for a team led by Kevin Millar? Like, how how was that physically possible? Like, the like the the E equals MC squares. It just do, doesn't work out, right? You need to have some sort of energy brought in. Um, and I think you're right that you know once the the team starts winning a little bit suddenly you know you get a taste of it and a little bit's no longer good enough but i will say that i think that there is some relationship between the winning filling your cup 
and sustaining your fandom through dark times that, you know, if you have enough winning, then you can live through three bad years and not really have it bother you, right? It's the sheer hopelessness of being an Orioles fan in particular that you you think that there might be another 14 year, another generation of loss looking us in the face, right? Because they haven't proved to us that they can do anything but. But going back to your premise, and I, I'm trying to get on board, going back to your premise, when I look at the 2012 season, which was one of the, the most special seasons I, I will have ever experienced, it wasn't the fact that the Orioles won 93 games that made that season special. The games that I remember, the games that really connected with me, were like the crazy 18-inning game in Seattle that I stayed up for, you know, and went into work having not slept like an idiot because I was a grown adult uh, carrying that much over a child's game. Or the the sheer joy of watching Chris Davis pitch and the absurdity of that. You know, those moments are the things about the, the good years of, of the, the, the winning baseball that I look back on fondly, more so than, you know, any of the looking at the, the win column at the end of the season. You might get random moments like that, even in a, a lost season like this one, but I think that those moments are overshadowed by the sheer hopelessness of where we are now. And if there were something to make me think that there might be a light at the end of this tunnel of just shame and and wallowing in self-loathing that I'm in because of the Orioles right now, I probably would be able to enjoy the joys that 162 games can bring you at any time. Yeah, you, you make a, a really good good point there. And I think, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I, I certainly saw winning baseball in Baltimore. I mean, I remember 96 and, and 97 and all the good things happening there. Um, but I had to learn to follow a good team again, that you, when you get used to so much losing, it, it actually, I think, is your learning process for how do, you, how do you follow a winning team throughout the course of a season? And that's even simple lessons like, you know, you get upset about a game, but hey, this is a team that's going to win their fair share of them. So, you know, let's not get too been out of shape about one night in particular, those sorts of things that, that I think you, you learn how to follow a winning team. And, you know, you, you kind of referenced it earlier, and I think it's it's something I've put a lot of thought into, uh, particularly this season. But, I mean, I think the history that you bring to a team matters a lot. And so when you look at, you know, even like that 88 team that was so bad, you look and say, well, they were five years removed from a World Series, and people that had been following that team for any length of time had also been through, you know, depending on their age, I mean, some of the, the greatest baseball that uh, the fans in Baltimore have ever seen. So you have this well of, you know, of great memories and, and great experience that, you know, make it probably a little easier to endure that, that 88. And in that case, you have 89 Why Not, which is like the ultimate feel-good story. You know, the ending wasn't what we wanted, but a great story after it. So I think about just the the real damage that's been done, I think, to to fans and to to trust in the organization through those 14 years of losing, that they do, they make it look at this end of of a successful run um, and not be focusing on just how successful it was uh, and a lot of the good memories that are there, but instead fearing that, hey, we may not see this again anytime soon because 
of what preceded it and the lack of trust that's there. So let me let me move us on to our, our fourth and final shattered illusion. Um, and in, in this case, it's kind of a corollary to the earlier one. And, and I think we'll hopefully rebut anyone that's trying to say that, that I don't enjoy winning baseball. So the fourth and final shattered illusion is this, and it's that losing baseball is charming. Now, before the Orioles became as bad or perhaps even worse than, than that 1988 Orioles outfit that I mentioned, there was, I think, a certain sense of nostalgia for me and for others around that 0-21 team. I mean, you hear people talk about that that team. You hear about fantastic fan night, which indeed, you know, to be fair, was an amazing moment uh, in Baltimore sports history. You'd see old jokes about the team or call familiar names on the roster and, you know, of course, have why not the season after. And it's almost enough to make you think like, hey, there was something special about that. And and to have a certain fondness toward a lot of losing that, that took place. Uh, now, if there's anything that the 2018 season has made abundantly clear, it's this. And it's losing is all that bad. It's not charming. There won't be a lot of nostalgia for this team. It's just bad. Uh you, you win the day. That's I could not, I could not co-sign that any harder. I think the only reason that people would say that losing baseball is charming is basically just Stockholm syndrome, and that they're trying to justify their existence. Okay, it's time now for a familiar segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Baltimore Orioles baseball. And I'll just go ahead and I'll get us started here with the good. Um, And my good, and hear me out on this, is not Dan Duquette, let me make that clear, but Dan Duquette's quote. So if I said Dan Duquette were my good, that would be much too hot of a hot take for me to deliver in my debut here as a guest host on uh, this esteemed podcast. But no, I want to stick to just his words only, and and who knows, maybe he can even speak his truth into existence. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, Dan Duquette actually used the word rebuild, which we haven't been hearing. Uh, That's a positive sign. And I I just want to go through his quote really quickly. He delivered this assessment of the franchise. He said, "We we had identified the areas that we need to improve in, technology, international scouting, facilities, the draft. Strengthening our analytics, investing in international scouting, investing in more front office staff to be more in line with our competitors, expanding our nutrition and wellness resources at every level of the organization. Those are areas that we identified that we could improve in, and the ownership understands those are areas that we need to put more resources into. End quote. Now, the nutrition and wellness mention has Brady Anderson written all over it, and I also think it's interesting that Dan Duquette referenced the ownership rather than Peter Angelo specifically. But really, this is my good because it's an acknowledgement of deficiencies in several areas that have been trouble spots for this franchise for too long. Now we know, I mean, the obvious rebuttal, actions speak louder than words. And I get that. I agree with it. But as far as words go, I like the ones that Dan Duquette pieced together here. So Dan Duquette's quote is my good for this week. Matt, he has the best words. Um, my good is going to be Andrew Kashner, and not for the reasons that you may think. Uh, Andrew Kashner had a bit of a tood with being uh, removed from a game the other day, and I think that's great. Uh, we we went through the ugly, or the not so lovely totals earlier. The Orioles are out of it. 
the Orioles are hopelessly out of it. And Andrew Kashner cares enough to not want to leave the mound. He's still trying to win baseball games. He is still trying to pitch his team into one of the the W's that won't matter. And I think that's great. You know, it would be so easy for the players to be mentally already at the golf course at this point. You know, it would be so easy for them to be, you know, doing everything they can just not to get hurt so that they can be there uh, for spring training next year. But to see somebody really trying to grind it out through a, a thankless uh, and pointless venture like pitching for the Baltimore Orioles in 2018, uh, I have to tip my cap to that. That's good. I, I like that. I agree with that. Let me just throw devil's advocate just for for point of discussion here. So another take is, hey, that Buck Walter is losing the players. It's an unhappy clubhouse. Kashner is publicly now showing that you know they're unhappy with, with their manager, and he's only caring about getting the W for himself because he knows the bullpen is so bad. There's lots of ways you could take that negative. Now, as I said, I, I agree with you. I like to see that there's still – some concern, some fire there. But what would you say to a, a counter-argument that would try and take that negative? I, I think that if I hadn't seen Andrew Kashner pitch in 2018, I might agree with the fact that he uh, he has some beef, but I have seen him pitch, and he's been part of the problem. Fair enough. So let's move on then to the bad. Um, and my bad for this week uh, is what I'll term outrageous fan trade scenarios. Now, you know, we're past the Manny Machado trade. Um, and there's obviously a lot of talk about that and, and what the Orioles would get, what they should get, so forth and so on. Um, but that hasn't stopped some trade scenarios with other players. And, and among those players is, is Adam Jones. Um, and I've seen a suggestion or some suggesting out there of, hey, let's trade Adam Jones to a contender. He's going to win a ring and then he's going to return triumphantly to Baltimore. He's going to mentor this young team and he's going to set the path toward the promised land. Now, that's all well and good, but but I have some problems with these types of, of scenarios out there. Um, beyond them being improbable, that you know you can't just trade Jones to any any team that you know he is uh, you know, has ten and five rights. That he's not just going to win a ring because you put him on one of several good teams now, um, and then that he's going to want to return to Baltimore after having a taste of some level of success elsewhere and take over this role as a as a mentor for a young team. Um, much less, you know, what would what value would he bring to Baltimore outside of that that mentorship, uh, given what seems to be a certain skill set that's that's in decline. So um, outrageous fan trade scenarios right now that and then others are my bad for this week. Well, let me just challenge you on that. And again, just just for the point of discussion, uh, first and foremost, you don't seem to understand how trades work uh, in baseball. We trade our trash for their treasure. That's how it works. Everybody agrees that they will give up the best in their system for whatever we have lying around. Um, but I, I do have a, a plausible and and poetic... Okay, it's not plausible, but it is poetic. I have a poetic trade uh, scenario for uh, Adam Jones. As you may know, Seattle is in the midst of a wild card race. Uh, they are one of the teams that is on the inside looking out as far as the, uh, the playoffs are concerned if the uh, season were to end right now. What if, what if the Orioles were to trade Adam Jones back to the Seattle Mariners and fleece them a second time? Wouldn't that just go down in baseball lore uh, for great trades? It, it would indeed. And I'll tell you, it's interesting that, that you bring that, that one up. The, the night that I worked in the, the press box, they were playing the 
the Mariners, which was was fun to see, to be honest with you, fun to see Nelson Cruz uh, back in town, um, among other reasons. But as a you know, as I'm watching the game, I uh, at one point uh, you know did some some googling around Adam Jones and, and trades, and one was uh, you know a Seattle Mariners blog that was going through all these different trade possibilities of, of who the Mariners might trade for, and they went through one on Adam Jones. Um, and as I don't like outrageous fan trade scenarios, I was actually very impressed with this one because they did a, a great analysis of starting with why it would be great, bring him back, and you know, kind of a, a do good after you know the, the bad that was the initial trade to Baltimore. But as they got into the details of it, realized like this would not be a good thing um, for Seattle, which goes back to your original point there of teams aren't going to just give up all the all the treasure to us for Adam Jones. All right, so my bad for this week is Brad Brock and Michael Givens for destroying every ounce of possible trade value they have every time they pitch. Guys, 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 you don't want to be here. This is a terrible team. You don't want to be here. Get yourself together so we can get something nice for you. That's my bad for this week. And and that's a very appropriate bad. I'll tell you, it's unique being a fan of a terrible team where what you're left to cheer for are things like keep your trade value or improve your trade value. And that's a stressful proposition. Watching Orioles baseball has not been stress-free because I still need guys to perform so we can get rid of them and get something in return. And as an example of that, you know, the recent uh, game there in Toronto where the bull, latest bullpen meltdown lost the game in the eighth inning, um, the article about the game, you know, I hadn't watched the game and I was checking in and reading the article on MLB.com and they had a, a what was a glaring error actually, and that they said that um, that the uh, pitcher that uh, that came in was our beloved closer, who we are trying to shop. Who get you? Know, he was the the reason for this meltdown. And you know, I I was like, wait a second. I looked at the box score before I read this. You know, this was not you know, what what they're saying this is. And so I was I was shocked. Like, wait, Zach Britton was not the one that did this. And I go back and look at the box score and realize it's an error. But my concern was not for, oh, my beloved you know, Zach Britton. It was Zach Britton needs to retain his trade value. Um, so, yes, you find yourself cheering for those sorts of things. And Brad Brock, uh, I'll say Brock in particular, has gone from really being an intriguing trade candidate to just ruining so much of the value that was there. So that is indeed bad. Um, can I move us on to our ugly then? Oh, please do. So my ugly... Um, is the realization that we may not yet be at rock bottom. So we've acknowledged throughout this podcast that there might be more trades to come, which in itself isn't a bad thing, but it's possible that the lineup, the rotation, the bullpen could become even weaker. So could this bad team, this terrible team, get even worse? If they do, that's really going to be ugly. That is not something I even want to think about. And so uh, that takes me to my ugly. And my ugly for this week is the apathy. It is a bad team. It is a bad team that makes us sigh rather than get upset. Look at tonight. It's Monday, the 23rd of July. And when the game was delayed because of rain, I wasn't upset. I wasn't disappointed at not being able to watch the Orioles it almost came as a relief rather than a curse. And for someone who has loved the Orioles for so long at such an absurd level, 
these are truly the darkest times. Perfect, ugly, and I'll, I'll just say uh, one of the things that I've discovered this season is that um, depending on how you engage with this team, I think can really affect your perspective on them. Like, there's no one's going to de- deny that they're terrible, but I think the difference between, say, watching a game is is the closest degree. You get a degree separated by listening to it. And maybe you're not listening or watching as much, but you're just following, you know, the box scores and the game articles. And the further you get removed, you can kind of feel like, well, how can they be this bad? And then you return to watch them and say, oh, oh, that's why. Um, So indeed, rain delay is sometimes better not to watch this team. All right. Well, Matt, we have uh, we've come near the close of another successful bird's eye view. Uh, you are the guest host, and so I must ask you this: uh, Would you like to blow this save? After having seen so many blown saves during my time as an Orioles fan, I would be honored. So here it goes. Let me let me blow this save. Everything old is new again. You've probably heard that phrase and, and maybe others like it that, that speak to history repeating itself. It seems that lately mem- many members of the Birdland community are rightfully concerned that history is about to repeat itself in Baltimore and that we're entering another dark ages. Sure, the Orioles are terrible and they're going to be pretty bad for the near future. But these Dark Ages references are about a lot of losing for a long time, like, say, 14 years. It's a history that none of us want to see repeated. But let's go back for a moment just a little deeper into Orioles history, and we can see another instance of history repeating itself. At the outset of the 2018 season, I thought of the fact that it was the 30th anniversary of the 1988 Orioles. You know, we mentioned them earlier, the ones who started the season 0-21, and and I wanted to see what some of the storylines were entering that season. Like, basically, were people aware of how bad this team was about to be? And um, at the time, I certainly didn't expect that the current incarnation of the Orioles would do their best impression of that team. But beyond the the similar performances that we see between those two teams, there were two storylines from that era that stood out. One involved the generational talent on the left side of the diamond who was at risk of leaving town if the Orioles didn't get their act together. There was even talk of giving him an ownership stake to keep him in town, and that talent, of course, was Cal Ripken Jr. And the ending of that story was much happier than its sequel with Manny Machado in 2018. The second storyline involved the possibility of the Orioles leaving Baltimore, perhaps even to relocate to Washington, D.C., which did not have a team at the time and had had exhibition games that drew rather large, enthusiastic crowds. One of the few highlights of that 88 season was Fantastic Fans Night, and that was the evening when the team officially announced that it had reached agreement on a new ballpark that would become Camden Yards. Now, you may have seen a more recent article uh, this season by Peter Schmuck of the Baltimore Sun, and in that column, he floated the possibility, however rare, that the current Orioles could leave town and listed places they might relocate. Everything old is new again. Now, that phrase, everything old is new again, as it turns out, comes from a 1970 song by Peter Allen. In addition to that hook that everybody knows, there are these lyrics. Don't throw the past away. 
You might need it some rainy day. Dreams can come true again when everything old is new again. Dreams can come true again, Orioles fan. Hold on to the good memories from this current era until they do. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review this show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. And get social with the guys from Bird's Eye View. You can email them at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But, of course, the best way to get hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at birdseyeviewbal. You can also find me on those interwebs. I'm on Twitter at RoarFrom34, and you can visit my website at RoarFrom34.com or shoot me an email at RoarFrom34 at gmail.com. And you really should. You should go and check out the site. You should follow Matt on the Twitters. Uh, Matt, you are one of my favorite bloggers for the Orioles. Uh, I've been reading for a very long time, and it is a delight that you are, are willing to grace the, uh, the airwaves and join us here on Bird's Eye View. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure to be on my favorite Orioles podcast, and I will say good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.